On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories podcast, we take a trip down memory lane and give you some insight into the work we put into two recent historical stories. Welcome to episode 108 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. As the baseball season winds down, we've taken the opportunity to spend more time on stories from Alberta's past. We tend to sometimes go down rabbit holes and find some interesting stories that go beyond the game. Over the last couple of weeks, we highlighted a trip to Alberta for a Hollywood superstar and a New York Yankees legend, and we dove into the 1920 Western Canada League Championship Series that was called into question after one team coughed up what should have been an insurmountable series lead. To recap those stories and offer up a bit of insight into the work that goes on behind the scenes to get these stories to you, we welcome back our own Ian Wilson to the podcast. Ian, thanks for taking some time. Oh, thank you very much for having me back. Take us back to the summer of 1953. This is a fascinating one uh, involving Marilyn Monroe and one Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, that's one of my one of my uh, more preferred pieces to research and write. Uh, I mean, what a, a incredibly interesting time for uh, baseball fans and movie fans, and a, kind of a, a intersection of those worlds happening in Alberta and happening in the mountains and. Uh, Basically, what what happened was uh, Joe DiMaggio at that time was was dating uh, Marilyn Monroe and had been dating her for a little over a year. Um, and he, uh, of course, uh, makes a stop in Vancouver on his way to uh, to Calgary and then later on to uh, Banff and Jasper. Uh, going through Vancouver, reporters ask him, "Hey, uh, where are you headed, Joe? What's what's going on?" and that kind of thing. And why why are you going to Alberta. And he says, Oh, I'm just, I'm going fishing, you know? <laughs> so, you know, obviously Alberta has very good fishing, but uh, I think there's uh, another uh, big catch for him waiting for him in Alberta in the form of, of Marilyn Monroe. And uh, in her, in case of, in the case of her situation, she was, um, you know, it just a really, for both of them, an interesting time in their lives. Joe was retired from baseball, had been for two years, had done broadcasting for a year and then, had kind of moved on from that. Marilyn's star, meanwhile, was just just kind of rising. I believe she was about 26, 27 years old. She had just uh, finished the movie um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes had come out in March, and that received was very well received critically, and and uh, audiences loved it. And um, you know, she's also behind the scenes. Her her contract, she's on like a seven picture deal, not being paid very well. And acting alongside people who are getting Hollywood actors who are getting paid very well, so she's kind of like, you know, just like an underpaid athlete at the end of a, a sweetheart deal. They're not necessarily enthralled with with the work she's doing and and the pay that she's getting. And uh, something that DiMaggio actually uh, uh, was very protective of her about. But uh, in any event, she's uh, coming out to Alberta to film a river of no return which was a western kind of a poorly written uh western also starring robert mitchum and around the same time uh there's three big hollywood productions uh movie productions happening in alberta uh one starring uh james stewart uh, another starring uh lad i forget his first name but uh 
And so there's a lot going on here uh, at this time. And like I said, Maryland's star is just kind of starting to take off here. And of course, for, for Albertans and people in the Banff and Jasper area, they're, you know, it's, it's quite the uh, coalescence of, of celebrity. And, and I always look at Maryland specifically, and I think there's really only one other person in the world that has the kind of celebrity history that she does. And that's Elvis Presley. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I don't think I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent of this couple's visit to Alberta and the closest I could come up with. And I don't really think it's a great comparable is A-Rod and J-Lo in that Alex Rodriguez is this immense baseball star and J-Lo is this immense uh, entertainment celebrity. But I mean, you know, and with respect to their careers, they really weren't stars like this. A-Rod is not the respected individual. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that uh, the Yankee Clipper was. And, you know, J-Lo, again, very accomplished uh, actress and singer uh, in her own right. I don't think she's going to be compared necessarily to, to Marilyn Monroe at, at any point. Yeah, well, and, and I don't know if there's anybody in sport right now that might be as revered as DiMaggio. And I don't know if there's anybody really revered in in the entertainment business that might be comparable to Marilyn right now. And so when you factor that back into play and then go, okay, now you need to find the power couple. Those things are few and far between, it seems. So it's a, it's a really fascinating read. Now, was there, you know, the, the, the fan attention attached to this or were they fairly secluded throughout their, their visit to Western Canada? There were, there were people that were kind of, watching for them. DiMaggio himself was a very immensely private individual. And he, uh, at the time, one thing uh, that was in the papers and was widely known is that he didn't want pictures of him and Marilyn together. Like he didn't want people snapping photos of them together. He just was not comfortable with that, wanted to value his privacy. And uh, it was really hard to get those. Um, There were a couple magazine photographers who were, um, sent out on assignment uh, to shoot some some pictures, mainly of uh, of Monroe, but did end up getting uh, uh, the couple as well. So one of those photographers was uh, John Vachon, and uh, there's a very good book called Marilyn, August 1953, and it's mainly the photos that Vachon took of Marilyn during her her time here. So some of them included poses with Mounties, sitting in a canoe, uh, pretending to be scared at this stuffed uh, bear, like some really kitschy, cheesy shots. But there's also some shots of her in her cast. She got injured during the film shoot and, and was in a, in a cast. So we got some candid shots of her just kind of hanging out by the pool, shots of her in her room. And of course, the, the, big, uh, the big get for mm-hmm. Vachon was getting intimate photos of of DiMaggio and uh, and Marilyn in their hotel room, and I don't mean like I don't mean that in a crass way. <laughs> I mean I mean like just shots of them just kind of talking with each other and smiling and laughing together. And these kind of photos hadn't really emerged of of the of the pair uh, before, so it really was when you look at those photos, they're they're really uh, kind of heartwarming. Uh, pictures of the of the couple and of course just being in in uh, those were taken at the Banff Springs Hotel and and just seeing the the background and the the nature in the area that we all as Albertans know is there it was just a 
a good pairing, but he, he, there was one day before he had lined up this photo shoot that he was kind of sitting and waiting. Uh, he had been tipped off that there was a, a, a wheelchair outside Marilyn's door. So she was going to be going to the doctor and, and having a doctor's visit. So he's like, Oh great. I'll get a picture of DiMaggio and Marilyn. And he's kind of sitting there like a, a paparazzi, which was not really his the method of photography. He mm-hmm. wasn't one of those photographers and uh, he's got his camera in his lap and he's waiting. Sure enough, he sees Marilyn kind of get wheeled out. And then true to his word, DiMaggio is keeping space and making sure he's not, he's not able to be photographed right next to her at that, at that point, even though he wanted to make sure she got to her doctor's appointment uh, as well. So yeah, some, some definitely some fan interest at that time, but obviously Marilyn Monroe, you know, Playboy had not come out yet. Right. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was on the first cover of, of Playboy. That came out in December of 1953. And, uh, you know, which Joe wasn't too happy mm-hmm. <laughs> happy about. Very old-fashioned, of course. Um, so she wasn't necessarily the sex symbol and the, the icon she she later became, but she was well on her way to that. Now, we didn't really get a sense as to, and, and I don't know if it's ever been written as to what Joe or Marilyn had to say about the the month that they basically spent here, but Vashon went on record to say quite a few nice things about the Bam Springs Hotel, and a really fascinating quote that I that you wrote uh, from that was attributed to Vashon. He says, I had to come to Banff to learn to really hate Hollywood. That's got to be a nice little pat on the back for our Rocky Mountain friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he uh, he really did not like. So Vachon's background was very much um, uh, journalistic and documentary style photos. So he is very accustomed to taking photos of people who are dirt poor and and um, you know just people who had been through <laughs> some some real life, I guess. Uh, so he wasn't really like swept up by the the Hollywood lifestyle and, and enamored with it. He was more aggravated that, you know, by all the, the handlers and all the, you know, all the people he had to go through to try and line something up. Well, maybe I'll get this. And, you know, he also said in the book how, you know, Robert Mitchum, there's a picture of Robert Mitchum going fishing. And he was basically like, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> he did mm-hmm. not like this guy. In the picture, he's holding this fish. Well, Mitchum didn't even catch the fish. Someone else had to go catch the fish for him, hand it to Mitchum. And it makes a nice photo, all of that. But uh, so he just wasn't the type of guy to be like, ooh, yes, I get to be a part of this machinery. He mm-hmm. wanted to take his photos, do his job, get uh, good work done. And uh, he was happy when he was able to do that, but he didn't want all the hassle that that came from going to point A to B. And he also had some some comments about... You know, he had some things about the the food that he didn't necessarily like there. And he loved the Rocky Mountains. He thought it was very picturesque and beautiful and liked the hotel. But, uh, you know, he didn't love the food. And he also was unimpressed with some of his American uh, uh, colleagues who were staying at the hotel and not necessarily um, uh, being as as polite as they could have been, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a great read. Go to albertadugoutstories.com for more on it. And uh, you've done this a few different times, Ian, and I want to give our listeners a, a bit of insight into how we collect stories like this or how we even stumble upon them. And so for this story specifically, how is it that you went down this rabbit hole just to find out that Marilyn and Joe DiMaggio were here in our province? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, with this one, like sometimes I just get in my head, hey, I wonder if, um, you know, Satchel Paige ever came through mm-hmm. here or, or Babe Ruth or all these big names that you're like. Jackie Robinson. Did, did Jackie Robinson. And if so, why? And what were the circumstances? So I, I kind of, I often think of it that way. And in, in this one, it was a little bit different because I knew, you know, it's been, Marilyn's visit has been well-documented. We, we knew about that. And so I started thinking, well, yeah, Marilyn was there. So did, did DiMaggio come out with her? And was he there? Because they knew that they obviously were, were an item. And, and so that's kind of what, what got it rolling was more recognizing that Marilyn had been there, but uh, been here, but uh, trying to sort out how, how DiMaggio fit into all of that. And, and if he came out, how long he was out for, and, and he did stay quite a while and he, you know, yeah, it came up with a buddy and, you know, they ended up encountering all kinds of nature, including deer and, and black bears and grizzly bears and that kind of thing. And he did actually go fishing as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> true to it, true to his word. Um, so it was more just kind of that. I, I knew about Maryland, but I wanted to kind of zero in on, on DiMaggio. And at that point, you're just kind of going through some of the newspaper archives. And then in this case, there was a lot of books. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I had accrued all these, uh, mainly through secondhand stores. And this was well before uh, the COVID outbreak because I'd kind of been, you know how it goes. So yeah, sometimes you have a story in your back pocket for, for months or mm-hmm. years even. And this one, I'd kind of been gathering these uh, these biographies on Marilyn and, and DiMaggio that I could find. So it was, you know, going through those books as well. And uh, and I knew about the the um, Maryland August 1953 book, and I was waiting to, to purchase that, which which I eventually did. Uh, so it's just kind of sifting through those. And then the funny thing, as I'm writing the story and then doing the putting the art in the story and the photos in the story, I was writing one day at my in-laws' house, and I was like, um, I feel like I need to warn you. I'm going to be looking at a lot of pictures of Marilyn Monroe <laughs> this <laughs> afternoon. So it's purely research, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just just hoping they weren't uh, like peeking over my shoulder at the wrong time thinking, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that, and that was part of it too, was finding the photos that, um, th- that was a bit of work as well, mm-hmm. just finding the, the photos. I knew about the Vachon photos. And then I found another, I forget the photographer's name, but there was a photographer from another magazine who would come up and shot images as well. Uh, so tracking those down, it took a little bit of work online, but was able to to find some good images that way. Of course, Marilyn Monroe is such a huge celebrity that there's so much fan websites and images and things like that devoted to her. So it's just kind of sifting through a volume of, of all of that and, and seeing what you can find. And that's one of the challenges with these historical stories, isn't it? Is that... Uh, it's not like you have a whole lot of people living still who would have, you know, been covering the visit or would have been uh, in the hotel while they were there, right? Like, there's not a lot of uh, one-on-one uh, conversations that you could have, and so you are depending solely on the recollections that you find in books, in newspapers, in magazines that can be sometimes tough to find. Yeah, and that's a good point. You are kind of, uh, you know, sometimes it's easier to to sift through the files and and not interview someone mm-hmm. because sometimes people can be difficult or their memories can fail and that kind of thing. In this case, there were times where I'd find discrepancies in what was written in a book or what you'd find in a newspaper article and things like that. One of the things that happened when they were on their way, I believe it was from Jasper to Banff, 
um, there's a tanker truck that exploded ahead of them. Really dramatic, mm. you know, kind of <laughs> movie style event. Yeah. Like I said, it was an eventful, eventful trip for them. Uh, and in this book passage that I read, it was a, a, a biography of DiMaggio. Uh, it mentioned, though, like it seemed like the, the driver was smoking and uh, he everything caught on fire and that kind of thing. And then he ran off into the woods. And then it says DiMaggio helped with the, the search. Well, it never mentions in the book, hey, was that guy all right? Like, did they find that guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so eventually I was able to, I was like, oh, I want, I really want to close that, that loop off. So I did find out he was okay. He did suffer burns. He went to hospital and, and he was all right. But, you know, there were a few things like that where you'd find uh, things that were opposing. And again, with, with Marilyn, because her life, she was this just such a huge uh, celebrity and everyone was was interested in her her sex life in particular and who she was dating and who she was uh, married to and things like that so you get very gossipy accounts of things uh that you know you'd read anywhere from dimaggio was uh just really protective of her to he was abusive to mm-hmm. her and so it was kind of hard to to navigate that and of course it's 1953 well the attitudes then were uh, this by no means uh, is, is uh, you know, th- there should never be abuse in a relationship. But I'm just saying, like, the, the attitudes were far different then about mm-hmm. about sex and how people dress and uh, and how people conduct themselves in, in relationships. So, you know, the way I it seemed to me was that DiMaggio was fairly protective of her. He did, the two did love each other, uh, even though they did get divorced and they did kind of reunite a bit, but never, you know, got remarried or anything like that. But I think there was a genuine love and, and concern there. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of sifting through some of those conflicting accounts and trying to make sure you're not, you know, uh, promoting something mm-hmm. unhealthy as well. Absolutely. Again, you can go to albertadugoutstories.com. That one is called Jolton Joe Has Left and Gone Away. Wanted to touch briefly on another historical story that we've been working on, and then we posted it uh, a few days ago, and it's all about the 1920 Western Canada League final series. And uh, just for a little bit of context on this one as well, because I was the one who kind of spearheaded this one, Ian, was in the last year we've talked a lot about the Black Sox scandal. And I was trying to find out whether or not there was an Alberta connection to it, and to which I have not been able to find it. But in the aftermath of the Black Sox scandal, and also uh, one scandal involving the Pacific Coast League, I happened across uh, something that had happened between the Calgary Broncos and the Regina Senators. Uh, it's a best of nine series. The Senators jump out to a 4-1 lead in the series, come back and or, or come back on by the, the Broncos, and they end up winning it all. And I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. And so as part of what we do here with our social media stuff, trying to find on these on this date kind of stuff, I went through going through those uh, online spheres, newspapers.com is a big one for us. Newspaperarchive.com is another big one for us. And as it turns out, it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole where there was a bit of a controversy surrounding the end result because the Broncos ended up winning that final game nine, 17 nothing. How does that happen? And the outrage in Regina at that point led one writer, apparently, to say, you know what, maybe there's something going on here. And even the manager player, Bill Spees, said, 
well, maybe there's something. Although he even admitted, I have no evidence to support this. It was a really fascinating read. Again, you can go to albertadugoutstories.com for that one. And I wanted to ask Ian because, you know, I'm usually the one handling the interviews here. So you're the one that's, uh, you know, on the other end having to listen to me here. So I want to know any questions that you had for me about that story specifically. Yeah, I'm happy to turn the tables on you here. And I and I do, uh, I think you're ready to publicly declare here right now <laughs> that you can definitively say whether the, the, the series was thrown or not, correct? I am not in any way, shape, or form <laughs> ready to make any kind of recommendation on that because it, it's so amazing to me how quiet it went after the fact because in the, in the couple of days after the final uh, horn was sounded, there was this outrage and the the newspaper the regina leader post is saying hey you know what we need to um we need a full investigation and they asked the president of the league and the vice president of the league and everybody hey we are we going to get an investigation sure we are we'll investigate it because there's there if there's some some concern about it we should be looking into it and then crickets the only thing that makes me wonder if there was something more to it and maybe spees knew something a little more to it is when he renewed his contract that November, he specifically said, I want to start with a clean slate on this team. And so he didn't bring, I don't think, anybody back from the 1920 Regina Senators to the 1921 Regina Senators, which makes me wonder if there was something afoot, but nothing that I have been able to find would really declare that there was anything uh, below board. Because as mentioned... There were some accusations that were certainly flying around in the media sphere in Regina specifically saying they laid down, quote unquote, and whether or not they were um, in debt to the mob or whatever the case may be, like there was in other leagues, because there's a lot of controversy around baseball period during that era um, where games were being thrown. But it, it sounds to me like the Regina was sort of the the team was dismissive of some of these allegations because of the record crowd that showed up in Calgary for that game nine. I think it was like fifty seven hundred plus that showed up, and in a city that wasn't one point four million as it is today, that was basically everybody sh closed up shop, locked the doors to their home, and showed up to go see a baseball game. Like it was standing room only, and even then the standing room was all gone, and they had fans lining the outfield fence kind of thing and they were they had to make specific rules around the game it was i could have gone into so much more detail about this story but it was just something else to to behold and and again to my point that i made earlier on it's not like we can get that first-hand account from someone who was actually in attendance because let's be real if somebody had some kind of memory of that they'd have to be about 116 years old because that was 100 years ago this month one thing that uh, that I, I was curious about as I was reading it, so the the uh, Black Sox scandal happened in 1919, so mm -hmm. a year before this this Calgary Bronx Regina uh, possible scandal, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wondered was the were the events of 1919 something that either could have planted a a, a seed in other baseball players' minds about uh, about throwing games and and you know, profiting from, right. from losing games, not just in that situation, but all over North America. Uh, was that something that planted a seed for that? And then on the flip side, was that something that heightened the the senses of the media to, mm -hmm. to watching for that? So could that have influenced 
how they were covering some of these games where they're all kind of like circling their, their box scores and, and Jersey numbers and, and checking off, Hmm, you know, like Duvall's character in, in mm-hmm. eight men out. Right. So I, I, that, that had me curious whether there was some recency bias from the media of, Oh geez, they're all throwing these games now or whether some players were like, Hmm, that maybe maybe we can make a buck or two. <laughs> well, and beyond that is is are there groups out there who are thinking, hey, maybe I can take advantage of these baseball players, much like what was going on with the Black Sox scandal, right? And and so there's yeah. there's some really interesting side notes to it. And and again, like there was nothing super definitive outside of the Regina Leader Post. And and I try to find even the the writers' names. And it's not like they have bylines like they have today when you go through the archives. And so there's there's that almost air of mystery surrounding even who was the writer. And and the day or two after the championship game uh, the Calgary Herald archives show or seem to indicate that, hey, this is all something that was planted in the heads of everybody by the Regina Leader Post. They kind of said, it's just the scribes out, out east and there's nothing to it. The, our boys did no wrong kind of thing. And so it was it was fascinating to see how quickly it died off. And I don't, again, who knows whether or not there's something more to it. And, and you and I were texting uh, after we published it and after you had writ, uh, read through it, and you said this would be kind of a fun one to try to dive even further on. And I'd imagine that it's going to involve reading virtually every single Calgary Herald and Regina Leader, Regina Leader Post front to back uh, from about September 20th, 1920, all the way to opening day, maybe 2020, and, and so, pardon me, uh, opening day 1922. Like even even the 1921 season had a little bit of controversy to it because the Senators only lasted through mid part of August before they had to fold because of lack of fan support. And who's to say that that wasn't created by maybe some more of the controversies that were surrounding baseball at the time. Yeah, really interesting. Well, one one thing I was hoping you could maybe shed some light on too is the rosters of that era. Um, uh, like this wasn't maybe let some of our listeners know about who was playing in these games because you did have some some former Major League Baseball talent on those rosters. Isn't, mm-hmm. isn't that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the fun part about it is that some of them had some of the best names ever, right? When Chicken Hawks is an actual name of a baseball player and he is involved in it. Now it was Nelson Chicken Hawks. But uh, again, the nicknames from that era were so fantastic. And both teams, again, this was the cream of the crop. The Senators won the first. Uh, and, and the way that the playoffs were set up back then was uh, you had a first half winner and a second half winner and then they faced off in the in the league final and so the first half was won by the Regina Senators the second half was won by the Calgary Broncos and actually the Broncos were second in the first pen uh, first half and the Senators were second in the second half so when you look into the the lead-in to that series both newspapers in in both cities were saying this was the best of the best this is the way it should have been 
And part of it was because they were able to attract more of the major league caliber players to their uh, to their rosters. So the Broncos had players like Milt Steengraf and Chicken Hawks and Walt uh, Cuckoo Christensen. I mean, some again, the <laughs> nicknames were fantastic. And then you had the Senators who had uh, a, arguably one of the best pitching staffs in the Western Canada League that year, led by Herman Paulette, uh and Burt Whaling. I mean, these were a couple of guys who, who they it wasn't like they had major careers. It's not like they were household names by any stretch, uh, or pardon me, Hall of Fame careers. But they they certainly had uh, some very good talent who played a couple of years, three years, four years in in the majors, or were about to as well. And so the, there's that uh, back and forth, and and even after that series, there were players who were scooped up by either major league teams or by uh, semi-pro teams elsewhere so that they could play out their their fall schedule or the following spring schedule because baseball was one of those things at, at, during those, and frankly, it was started in the early 1900s and went right through the 1950s, I think, was you had barnstorming, you had all these leagues and all these players who were looking to play baseball as long as possible through the course of the the year. So they were willing to play winter league ball somewhere down south, and then they'd come up for spring somewhere, uh, maybe in Florida, that kind of thing, and then they'd play as far north as they could go for the summer, and then maybe they even had some fall ball. So there's it was almost a year-round thing for, for some of these athletes. And uh, again, when you have some of those names coming through, it, it drew some pretty big crowns because the, the quality of ball was that good. There's something about those best of nine series that uh, that evoke, uh, you know, some some uh, feelings of, of that era, too, mm-hmm. that uh, is, is fun to, to look at. As soon as I kind of read best of nine, I'm like, OK, where's my popcorn? I, <laughs> I'm sitting down. I'm reading about this. I want to tell me all about the nine games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me. I, I want to hear about every single one. And part of that was part of why I was asking about the box scores from them, too, because I was like, I want to see those errors in the box scores. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and it amazes me is is just how, um, and it's not posted on our story, but when you go to the archive, Calgary Herald and Regina Leader Post, is it's not just the box score and, you know, a quick game story. Like there was, in some cases, full pages worth of coverage to uh, what happened. And you had almost a play-by-play that was given because it wasn't like you had TV at that time. It wasn't like you had radio at that time and so the newspaper was really that the eyes and ears of the game for the fans who couldn't quite make it to the game or were in another market at the time and so it was it was really fascinating to read how thorough both papers were in getting that information out there and like you said when you go through some of the box scores and especially when you see the last few games there because when you look at at the scores like I mentioned 17 nothing was the the final score in the in that final game nine but game eight wasn't that much better either to be honest because the score there was 15 five if memory serves me right and the game before that was 11 three for Calgary so uh when Calgary won they won big and it was a part of it was because their bats were a, a lot of them were major league talent players and so there's uh it was really fascinating to go through and like you mentioned there was there's quite a few errors that were attributed to it and and especially in the last few games again uh, by Regina and a lot of it was attributed to the fans and how they didn't say it up front but you kind of got the sense that there was quite a bit of heckling and making fun of the Regina Senators uh while the games were going on 
Everybody loves a good Calgary Regina battle. That's that's what uh, us at West we just love that rivalry. Very reminiscent of the Stampeders and uh, the the Rough Riders for sure. So again, you can go to albertadugoutstories.com for both of those stories. That one's called a Bronx Tale. And again, one of those things with both of these stories, we wanted to provide you maybe a longer conversation for the podcast this week, uh, just between the two of us, because it's not like we have that firsthand account that we can share with someone else and, and be able to say, hey, what happened back then? Because everybody's passed away from there. And so I uh, got to give a shout out to to uh, those who have been able to provide pictures for us. The Glenbow Archives, for example, the City of Vancouver Archives were able to provide some for the 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 Bronx Tale story, and I know that you had some pictures as well that you were able to obtain. And uh, do you want to give any shout outs on on that behalf? Uh, not really. Okay, <laughs> I can't just mainly because I can't remember uh, where exactly they were. I know with so with Vashon's pictures themselves, we didn't end up publishing those because those cost quite a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> of money oh, to get yeah. the rights to. And we like to be on the up and up as much as we can, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other ones, I know that we were able to use them, but I don't remember off the top of my head uh, what what the, the, the source was. So, um, And some of the photos that are out there online are actually ones that uh, were personal photos that DiMaggio or Marilyn or their circle of friends took and had in their possession as well. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's part of the, the challenge of hunting that down. And I would have loved to have shared more of uh, Sean's pictures. But again, uh, there was there was a price tag uh, mm-hmm. attached to that that we were unable to do. But we did include a link to the book. And I would encourage people to buy the book because it is, uh, you know, if you're interested in that at all, there's some great photos of Maryland and other settings, but also just the pictures of DiMaggio and some of the stories that, you know, Vachon wrote home to his wife uh, pretty much every day or every other day, doing it on Banff Springs stationery and that kind of thing. So it's a really, you know, if you're at all interested in the in Alberta history and uh, that kind of thing, it's, it's a very uh, insightful uh, book. And that's called uh, Maryland, August 1953. And from that standpoint, I think, that is going to do it for our conversation, but I do want to thank Ian for all his hard work and digging up some of these archive stories. And I can say with definitive nature that you are working on a few other ones too. Yeah, I've got some fun stuff on the go. Uh, there's one story in particular that I, I think I teased a while back that I'm like, oh yeah, I should have that done in a month. And nope, <laughs> <laughs> I've been pushing that back. Uh, I do also want to give a, a shout out to one of our partners, The Scene, which mm-hmm. uh, picked up uh, the Marilyn and Joe story and ran it in print form. Uh, they, that was their first issue. Uh, I also believe they are picking up your Bronx Tail piece and running it in their their next issue. So um, it, look for that. It's uh, I know it's circulating in the in the downtown area and uh, in in the Beltline area. So keep an eye out for the scene. Uh, a great uh, arts and entertainment publication and, and big supporters of ours and, and sharing our work and getting it out there. So I always love seeing my my writing in print form as well. I'm old school that way. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to, to reading yours uh, in their, their next uh, edition as well. I don't know if I've ever had a piece that's ever been in a newspaper, so that'll be something different <laughs> for me for sure. I'm looking forward to getting some, uh, some ink on my fingertips before too long. So uh, awesome stuff, Ian. We'll keep up the great work. And as always, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks so much, Joe. Take care.
And thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your provider of choice. You can listen in on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. And if you can, leave us a rating and review to help spread the word about what we're up to. On that note, again, thank you for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.